Duke has said before that um, he wants to lead worship in such a way that if someone doesn't show up to give the message that they heard the gospel, and I think that that song powerfully, powerfully did that. I, there's a part of me that wants to say, um, okay, we're, we're done here. Um, but um, the message for today is something that is so much on my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. I probably will be long-winded. Um, last week, Sarah and I um, took the, the task slash privilege of being with the thor- third, fourth, fifth graders. And something really struck me last week as we were in service, or really in that service, is they were all really excited to be here, with the exception of probably my son. But they were all, other than him, really excited to be here. And not only were they excited to be here, but they also were really excited that there was going to be a baptism. And they really like went out of their way to ask, can we go back in so that we can be there for the baptism? And it really like stuck out to me because as a kid, I hated going to church. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. It's true. I hated going to church. Anybody else hated going to church growing up? You can be real. We're in God knows if you're lying, right? But for me, you had to dress up. I had to try to fix my hair. I used to have some of it. But you have to fix your hair. You have to wake up early. You got to put on your best clothes, and you're just uncomfortable. That's how I felt the whole time there. I had to pretend like my brother and I didn't fight the entire way there. Um, we had to try to be on our best behavior. You had to sit still for a kid with undiagnosed ADHD. That was not easy. And I just, I didn't like it. You had to rush into church and you had to try to find the seat away from the old lady with the stinky perfume. And then you had to rush out of there so you would miss the traffic. And then you had to rush to the restaurant so you wouldn't have to have a long wait. And to me, you know, you had to dress up, you had to be on your best behavior, you rush in, you rush out. And the whole time we were there, I really didn't know anybody. And if I'm honest, I didn't really know if I wanted to know a lot of the people that were there. Kind of like here, right? No, I'm just kidding. The best days for me at church were the days when I would tell my parents I had to go to the bathroom and I would go wander the halls, try to find donuts. And I kind of would think, you know what, this, these people probably bring these to make this place bearable. That's just how I felt. I did not like going to church growing up. Um, to me, I think church was like a sporting event, except for that it wasn't fun. The sporting event, what do you do? You got to wear a special outfit. You go to the Reds game, what do you got to do? You got to get a Reds hat, red shirt, you go. And then you got to get there early, you get the right seat, you got to get out of there quickly so you avoid the traffic. You didn't know anybody there, but everybody seemed to be rooting for the same team. You know, most people at the Reds game are rooting for the Reds, it seems like. And uh, that's to me what church was like. The other thing about a sporting event is my favorite part of the sporting event. I love going to sporting events, but I also love to get the food, right? That's part of it. You know, get the peanuts at the baseball game. And that's to me what, what church was really about. And I think that actually in our culture, that's kind of the norm. I think people oftentimes don't like church. I think when they go, they don't like what they see. It doesn't feel comfortable. It's, there's something that's missing, and I, I found this, it's a Gallup poll that, that has been the same poll continuously for years and years and years. In 1950, when the question was asked, how many of you have gone to church in the last week? And in the United States, the answer was, in the past week, I did go to church, 49% of people. In 2016, when it was asked, it was 36%. There was a thir- 13% drop in the people that went to church. It is very easy to go and talk to people, and people are interested in Jesus, but people don't seem to be interested in the church. Why is that? Um, I think, I can't help but wonder if maybe the things that people are seeing in church are maybe leading them away from the church. 
uh, it's very clear that there has been a lot. If you open up the news, if you pay attention, there are churches all across the land that have had horrible things go on in them. But what is it that the church is supposed to look like? That really, I think, is what our text answers for today, is what is the church supposed to look like? We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. Before we get there, um, we've been in the book of Acts. The book of Acts starts, Jesus had died, he had risen, and he told the disciples that he was going to give them the Holy Spirit, and, when he, and then he does, he, or he sends, and he gives them the Holy Spirit, and then um, God allows them to do many miraculous signs and wonders, and it captures people's attention, and it opens up the doors for them to preach. And the, so they preach the gospel, they preach the good news, and thousands of people come to know the Lord. Thousands of people begin to follow Jesus. And, and if you were here several weeks ago, Kevin preached on Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And that's just says where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. And so you have this, these thousands of people that are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And then right after that, it says that they were meeting in homes together. And I think what, what he really hit home on is in, in the early church, what was happening is there was basically, using our language, there were house churches that were started. There were, there were small groups of people who were intimate together, who got to know each other, who got to know the word. They were devoting themselves to one another and devoting themselves to the word. And then it also says that they would meet in the temple. Oftentimes it would say in Solomon's portico. Um, but also in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, which we, we um, aren't going to be there for another couple weeks, but it says, and day, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And so you see that there's kind of these two environments that are going on. You have people in homes meeting together, and then you have people in a public space. And so what does church, maybe that public space, what is it supposed to look like? That is what we'll talk about today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give the answer at the very beginning. That way you don't have to listen to the rest of the things I say if you don't want to. I think that church is supposed to look like a family of families. And to be honest with you, the reason why I didn't like church growing up is because it didn't feel like family at all. It felt cold and it felt sterile. But I would say that the church is supposed to look like a family of families. If you have your Bible you can flip open to Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. This is what it says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. God, I um, know this is a, such a passion of mine 
So God, I pray that you'd help me to um, communicate clear and effective with uh, the right amount of words. God, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, you'd open up our minds, that this message wouldn't just be something that sounds good on paper, but this would be a message that truly changes us from the inside out. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think that we see three things that they do that shows that they're living as a family of families that I would say is, is this sign to us, this challenge to us that we as a church should look like a family of families, that the church all across the nation should look like a family of families. The first one is that they, um, those who believed were of one heart and of one spirit. So far in the book of Acts, they have devoted themselves with one accord to prayer. There was times where they lifted their voices together. And what you see is they're, they're one heart, one spirit. They're seeking to have the same mind. And, and whose mind is that? It's the mind of Christ. What happens is they're wanting God's plans. They're wanting God's purposes. They want the same goals. They have the same desires. What you don't see in the early church is people fighting over what color the carpet's going to be or what color the, the chairs are going to be. You, what you see is they're of one mind and of one spirit, and it's what God wants. It's this powerful thing. They're functioning as one body. They're, they're kind of marching in unison. That's what I feel like you see. And that's, most of us would probably say, that's not really what family looks like to me. I mean, for those of us with kids, it's like everything I fix, the kids just break. It feels like they're against us. They're not for us. They're on a different team. But, but I think if you look up definition of family, um, what you find is a family is a group of people with the same ancestor. It's a group of people under one head, it is a group of people with common characteristics, and it's a group of people with common convictions. I mean, I don't think that can define what the church should look like any better. It's, we should be a place where we are a group of people with the same ancestor. We all come from God. We have this, we're under one head, Jesus, and we have common characteristics of love for people, common convictions what we see constantly are this group of people marching in unison under that vision. Even in, in verse 33, what does it say? It says that, um, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them. You see that there's so much on the same page. There's so much with one body, with one heart, with one mind, as one spirit, where they're doing that same thing. They're, they're speaking this message of Christ to all the people. You see them functioning as one group as, together in unison. And I feel like that's what family looks like. That's what family should look like. Together, they are devoting themselves to the word, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And so we, we see a couple of things. One, this group of people, they're, they're functioning as one spirit, as one heart. Second thing that I think that we see as family is no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own. They shared. They cared for one another. It says that there was not a needy person they were interdependent. They were connected. They felt a responsibility to each other. That if somebody in that group was struggling, they, other people felt a need to come alongside. But I think it also says this, that if you are the one that is struggling, that you are willing to allow the other ones to come alongside. If you're like me, it's pretty easy to see someone in struggling and me to want to go help. But when I'm struggling, I kind of just want everybody to get away. 
but there was this willingness to, to together, both ways, both sides. There wasn't just giving people and there wasn't just needy people. There were people who were, who were sharing in responsibilities. Um, there wasn't givers and takers. No one was seeking to be a burden. Everybody was kind of working their own, not just, I'm going to do nothing. Everybody can take care of me. That wasn't what need is. That's enabling, not need. It doesn't say that their wants are met. There's a piece of me that kind of reads this and like, man, this would be really cool. I could really want a boat and everybody else could help me get my boat. Well, it doesn't say wants. It says that there was not a person with need. I think it's a wonderful, beautiful picture, and it reminded me of, of a story. Um, for those of you who, who were here last week, Rusty is who, who preached. Rusty is my brother-in-law. Rusty is Sarah's brother. Well, when Sarah and Rusty were kids, they were one or two school years apart? Two school years apart, um, 18 months apart. Well, there was a short period of time where there was someone in their general area that was breaking into homes. Um, and Sarah was kind of flipped out by it. So probably eighth grade Sarah's flipped out about people breaking into the houses. And so what does Rusty do? Rusty views that his time is not of his own, that his um, belongings aren't his own. So what Rusty does is Rusty goes and he gets his BB gun, because that's going to keep the, you know, somebody away. But he goes and he gets his BB gun, and he sleeps on Sarah's floor in her room. Sixth grade Rusty with his BB gun, laying there to help take care of his sister. But what I think you see is so beautiful and that that's what family should do for each other. And really, in the church, the reason why I didn't like it growing up is because it didn't feel like anybody even noticed if I was there or not. But what would it look like if a church really looked like family where we were involved in each other's lives enough that something odd like sleeping on the floor with a BB gun. Now, I mean, I'm not asking if anybody wants me to come over and sleep with a BB gun on their floor. I'm not... But if you take that into the church, what would it look like if we cared about each other's needs that much? We were that interconnected. We were that caring for one another, that loving of one another. But I think that goes so against our culture. You know, in our culture, I think there are things that people just think that you're a weirdo if you do certain things. Sarah and I, since we have been married um, for 17, just about 17 years, 16 and a half, over 16 and a half years, most of that time, we have had people live with us. Um, we had a guy named Abhinav, who was a foreign exchange student from India. He lived with us for a while. Um, we had a guy named Dan that lived with us for a while. And now we have a girl named Kate who lives with us. And it's like when you're talking to your neighbor and people are kind of like, well, there's a car from a different state in your driveway. What's going on? Or I saw a guy who was from India. He's clearly not of your blood. Like, what's happening? What's going on? And we just have been, they, we just, they just live with us. And people are like, what? Like, why would you have some person live with you? But if, if something happened and my parents needed a place to live, wouldn't they just move right in? But shouldn't the family of God look that way? And people are kind of like, just, what a weirdo. And they leave, stop the conversation with me. But again, like, in family, you provide meals for each other, Right? But in our culture, if, if us, if we provide meals for each other, it looks weird. Or if we have people provide the meals for us, if, if we let someone borrow our car for an extended period of time, that feels weird. Or if you have, like, um, for a while at least, Andrew and Jason, they, they, there's just one lawnmower for the two houses. And 
I think it was Jason would walk over, go get the lawnmower, walk over, mow, walk over, put the mower back. But like, there's something beautiful in that. Whereas in most neighborhoods, every single person has their own mower, every single person has their own snowblower and, and all that. But, but what if in, in, the, in the body it was that we cared for one another, that no belongings were of, of our own? And I think culturally it looks so weird, but I think that's exactly what is happening here. I don't think that they needed the lawnmower, but I think that's what would have happened. What about when there's people in this room? I know that when they go to the doctor, they can't get there. So what do they do? They call one of their close people. Close people take them and vice versa. But that's the way I think that the church is supposed to look. I think that's what family is supposed to look like. But I don't think that the church often does look like that. I think um, it, it should look like, and I think it would have in this time period, looked like people helping parent each other's kids. Well, Sarah went back to check on Shane. I shouldn't talk bad about Shane. Shane's an awesome kid. But Shane wasn't doing what he was supposed to. And guess what? The teacher in the classroom was giving him a mouthful, as she should. But I think so often we kind of view like we don't want anybody else helping out with our kids. We want to be the one who disciplines our kids. And now I don't think anybody needs to give any of my kids a spanking per se. But I tell you what, if my kid's out of line, you let them know it. That's, to me, what the body should look like. That's what the church should look like. What about refrigerator rights? A lot of people know when they come to my house, just open up the refrigerator, get whatever you want. But that's a weird thing. In our culture, it's weird for someone to walk in your house, not even say hello. We have a refrigerator in our garage, and many of the people, right, Caleb, when they walk in, before they even come say hi, they got their drink out. They're ready to go. And we love that. That, to me, is what fa- I wouldn't expect that I can't just walk into my parents' house and go open up the refrigerator. When I go to my brother's house, I don't ask, can I have a cup of coffee? I just would go get it. But I feel like what you see going on in this is that. People are living close, interdependent, connected lives, and that goes so against our culture. And I'll be honest, for a lot of us in this room, that does not feel good. It scares us. It feels weird. But I think that that is what is happening when you look through the book of Acts. They are living like family. Number one, they are of one heart. They are of one mind. Two, no one said anything that belonged to them was their own. I think it goes deeper than that. Not only were they claiming that none of their belongings were their own, but you saw earlier in Acts chapter 2 that people were selling their possessions and their belongings, providing for each other. And that's pretty powerful. Like, think about if, if I have, you know, an extra lawnmower and I decide to sell my lawnmower or give it to somebody. Like, that's pretty powerful, right? With a lawnmower, with an extra car. Like, you know, Dane is off to college and if he gets a job and what are we going to do with our car? We could sell it. We could give it away. We could do all those things. Um, but what would it look like if that's not how it was, if people were willing to sell their possessions and belongings to give to each other, they were just handed over? There's something beautiful and powerful and wonderful in that. But it goes even deeper here in this chapter, what's happening, people are selling their houses, their land, and their fields and giving the money. Now it's real uncomfortable. It's one thing if I give my old clothes that I don't want anymore to somebody else. It's a totally different thing if I sell my home. 
or if I have land, or if I have a field and I sell it. And I started thinking about, what does this mean? It doesn't really tell us exactly what does it mean. There's times where it says that he sold a field. Barnabas sold a field. Does he have 10 fields? He just sold one of them? We don't know. Was it his only one? We don't know. But I started thinking through, what does it mean that people are selling their houses, lands, fields? What could it mean? And there's a couple things. Number one, it could be that people were choosing to sell their homes because they wanted to downsize so their expenses would be less so they could give to each other. Maybe that they're selling their homes to truly just give all the money and say, I'm just going to live on the streets. That's real uncomfortable to us. Maybe they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to sell my house because two or three of us as families are just going to all live in the same house. I know there's, uh, there's already people on about um, starting a commune, and which gets a little bit weird, but I'm, I'm in, you know, we find the right plot of land, I'm in. Um, but I think that that's what you see is people sharing life enough that they're living together. So maybe they're selling their homes and they're just, a bunch of them are choosing to live in the same house together. In many cultures, you have like lots of families living in one home. But maybe it's um, wanting to be in closer proximity. There, there are people initially from all parts of the world that have come to Jerusalem. So maybe they're even selling their house there so that they can be in closer proximity with the people that they're intimate with, where they want to grow in their relationship with the Lord with. And you know, I started thinking about land. I know people who they have bought land, and that is where they're going to build their dream home. So maybe them selling the land was, you know what, I'm giving up on that dream of building my dream home because my dream has now changed. My dream is not for a dream home. My dream is to be with the people of God, challenging and encouraging each other to know and to love and to follow Christ. What if that's what the church looked like? People selling a field. I started thinking about this, that um, for Barnabas, Barnabas sells his field. He gives the proceeds. Okay, his field, it very likely in this day and age, there was a lot of farming. There was a lot of, um, you know, shepherding of sheep. And so what if this is his field? This is his way of life. This is his living. He's, he's basically seems like he's quitting his job, maybe. And now his job, and if you, if you read about Barnabas, Barnabas is probably one of my favorite people in the Bible. And it's a good thing that the Lord didn't allow Sarah and I to have birth children because Barnabas would kind of be a little bit of a weird name. But, but Barnabas is this awesome guy, and he sells a field, and he gives up his life, and he travels to spread the message of Christ the rest of his life. And I really think that what you see here is their one spirit, their one mind. What you see is that nothing is their own, but it goes even deeper. What I would say, I would describe it that they are displaying reckless behavior for God and for each other. Like if we think about it, to sell your house, to sell your land, to sell a field and just give all the money away is reckless behavior. That's what we would say in our culture. It's crazy. You know, for us, most of the time for us, the way we give is like, okay, I got to make sure I give this way. That way it's tax deductible. Number two, I think the way that we oftentimes give is, is well, I've already paid all my stuff that I need, and I saved a little bit for the boat, so now I can give the extra. I can give the leftovers to God. I can give the leftovers to the body. That's how I oftentimes want to treat it. Or we want to designate funds. That's big in a lot of churches. People like put on the little memo where they want the money to go. Like not only am I, I'm willing to give a little bit of money, but I want to make sure that it doesn't go to the building fund. It needs to go to missions. Or I want it to make sure it goes to the kids' ministry. And, and people in many, many churches spend a lot of effort on what they want that money to go to. 
So in our culture, it's tax-deductible leftovers, designated funds, and oftentimes it's things for ourselves. actually. Like if we give a lot of money to the church, like let's say everybody here is really giving, we're really giving, and then the air conditioning goes out and we choose not to fix it. How many people are like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You know, the things we want to make sure that when, when it's raining that the water's not dripping on our heads, we want to make sure that we are comfortable. We want to have nice seats to sit in. We want the building to look pretty. But I think that we see something totally different with these people. They are displaying reckless behavior for God and for each other. Um, Duke and I in no way, shape, or form plan together of what I'm going to talk about and what he's going to lead and when, when Terry does, when Chris does. We never talk about those things. And, and just before I come up, this song says, because of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, that is why these people are displaying the reckless love or the reckless um, behavior toward God and toward each other because they saw it through the reckless love of God. They look like their father. What does that truly look like? I think it could mean that you give, give a car away. It could mean that people choose to sell their homes to downsize, that people, families choose to live together. It could be that you give up on building that dream home or ever having that boat because the, the goals, the desires have changed. It could be that maybe you get this job offer. Let me, let me what, let's say I got a phone call and the phone call was, hey, Brian, um, we're going to pay you $100,000 more than what you make now which would be a lot, um, a lot more. Um, but you just got to move to Texas. Do you think I would just come home and say, hey, Sarah, we're moving to Texas. What do you think would happen in that? That would not go over real well. And the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. We know well, that's true, right, guys? So I would not just come home and say, we're moving to, we're moving to Texas. I also wouldn't come home and just tell my kids out of the blue, hey, guess what? We're moving to Texas. Now, I might not let my kids make the decision, but I'll at least listen to what they have to say. And I think in family, that's the way it should look. So maybe even living the way that we're talking, the way that they would have lived in the book of Acts, maybe it's if someday a job offer comes in that the decision is not just made on your own, but the decision is thought about is, this is my family. This is my family. So my decision should come through the lens of what other people here think. And how is it going to impact our life as a couple, our life as a family, if we're, we are leaving this tight-knit and close proximity to people that we know and we love and we care about? Now listen, they didn't follow that all the way because persecution came and they scattered. But I still think that if we live this way, it means us thinking about each other as family, that even considering one another and what happens in our life. Um, to me, it, it seems like their reckless behavior almost even seems like they could be cashing in their retirement account. It's just insane to me. It's reckless. Why would someone, if they have this land that they're, that they're keeping, that they're going to sell, and they're going to live that as their retirement, and they choose to sell it, and just give all the money away. That's reckless. But I truly believe that that is what was happening because they viewed themselves as family. I want to read a couple verses about um, other places in the Bible where it kind of leads us to that the church should look like a family of families. The church should look like family. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 says this, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, 
taking care of her own children. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 says, For you know how like a father with his children we exhort each one of you, encourage you, and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's family language. Galatians 6.10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. It's family language. Ephesians 2.19, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I think church is supposed to look like a family of families. There's other language that's very much like family. If you ever look through the Bible and look for one another passages, here are the places, here are some of the things that the Bible teaches about us for our love for one another. As fellow believers, we are to love one another, wash one another's feet. That gets weird. Be devoted to one another, honor one another, serve one another, be patient with one another. We're to bear with one another. We do not lie to one another. We admonish one another. We encourage one another. We build up one another. We confess our sins to one another. The reason why I hated church growing up is because I didn't see any of that. I'm not saying it wasn't at that church. I'm saying that I was not a part of that. Maybe it was just because I didn't want to be a part of it. But I think that is what church is supposed to look like. Um, let me give some cautions. Number one, that will not be natural. It'll be uncomfortable as all get out. It goes against the grain. It will feel weird. Number two, it will not be easy. In fact, I would say that it would never be without challenges. For those of you who have other people in your family, I'm sure you can admit that the people in your family annoy you sometimes. Right? Amen. That's right. Amen. You get annoyed by them. For those of you with kids, you know that your which kid is your favorite? It depends on the day. Everybody gets a turn. For my mom, I'm, I'm her favorite. Right? But families, you annoy each other. You can get angry with each other. There's friction. There can be frustration. You can say things that you shouldn't. You can do things you shouldn't. Other people will say things they shouldn't and do things they shouldn't. So guess what? When you live in family, the caution is it's not easy because there's this constant thing that goes on. And it's hard to live in the same house with a person and not want to kill them. There was a, there was a church, there's a, when our house church was birthing off another house church, this goes back years ago, I told the people who were going to be leading the other house church, I said, if you do not get to a point to where you guys are in a fight and possibly even wanting to cuss each other out, then you're not doing it right. And what I mean by that is if you are truly, deeply open with your lives, sharing life with each other, there will be times where it is not easy and you just want to run away. I loved being in my family, but guess what? You better bet there was a day. I remember it just like it was yesterday. My parents made me mad, probably because I was doing something I wasn't supposed to, and I got in trouble. But what did I do? I walked up to my room. I got $40 from their room, and I put it in my bag, and I put my bag on my shoulders, and I decided I'm gone. And then after, like, a couple minutes, I realized, wait a second, I'm 10. I, uh, <laughs> where am I going to sleep? This bag's not big enough to take my Nintendo but families, there's friction, there's, 
There's, so there's a caution to us. I do think this is the way that we are called to live. This is what the church is supposed to look like, but there is an extreme caution. It is not natural, and it's not easy. And the third one is, if we're really honest, there are people we don't want to be in family with. If we really get deep down in to our own hearts and minds, there are people who we think, I don't really want to be family with that person. Maybe it's with people who act like that, people who talk like this, people who vote like that. It can even be, and in our culture, in our, in our not-so-recent past, it has even been based on the color of skin, which is ridiculous. There are times in our culture where it's, it's, it's place of origin, and we don't want to be in family with those people. And I can tell you this, this group of people, they didn't hold back or let people in so far, seek to attract some but not attract others. They sought to be family with the people of God. And that's the place I want to be. I want to be in a place that it, it doesn't matter where you were born, even if you were born in Kentucky, that I'm willing to be family with you. Just kidding. My family's from Kentucky, so I can say it. But I think that there's a caution that it, it won't be natural, it won't be easy, and if we're honest, there is sin, there's ugliness in our hearts. And we need God to wipe that out if we are truly going to be family together. And that is what the early church, I truly believe, looked like. They were a families, family of families. They restructured their lives. They gave up their stuff. They gave up themselves. They gave up their time. They gave up their talents. They gave up their treasures. They gave up their resources. They were willing to get uncomfortable. They displayed reckless behavior because of a reckless love of God. Let me conclude with this. How do you think the church in America is doing with looking like a family of families? I want you to give them a, a grade. You're the teacher. A, B, C, D, or F. You don't have to say it out loud. What do you think the church in America gets for a grade of how well the church looks like family? I want you to, to give a grade for here at the greenhouse. I humbly agree. Uh, maybe not A+, plus, but I would say that God has given us this awesome gift of us being doing really well with that. But I want to say two things to that. Number one, the enemy will come after that big time. The second thing I'll say about it in just a minute, but our house churches, does it look like family? Our discipleship groups, we have a, a girls' teen discipleship group, and we have a guys' teen discipleship group. Do those look like family? Is it a place that you feel that you are loved, cared for, protected, encouraged, challenged, pushed, urged, challenged, encouraged on to Christ? If it doesn't, why are we doing it? My challenge for everybody who is in any type of discipleship type group like that is next week or in this next week, talk to your group and be honest, does this look like family? 
What ways does it and what ways does it not? And my challenge is also that if you feel this is true, to set an example in it. Kevin Osborne says to me all the time, he says, man, I'm at one of my kids' sporting events and here comes Ron. That's what family does. Like my, my parents come to my kids' events. And I can tell you many a days where, where we were at a sporting event for, for Dane because that's all we ever did, because he played baseball, basketball, and football, and so that's all we ever did. And we had people that would come, and we're all just hanging out there. And then we had people who, who you know, we got Clay, who's in the band, and so then we see the parents, we see Tim and Kathy, and we're all kind of, like, like, that's what it should, it should look like, a family of families. But I would challenge you to, number one, talk to your group if you're in one of those groups, and be real about, does this look like family? And if you aren't in one, that, that's the desire of what our house churches look like. It looks like family. And we can be family here, but you can't be family here in the same way that you can be family there. But to me, um, my hope is that I would never be a part of a place that is simply just a group of people that find themselves together the same day at the same location once a week. My prayer is that we would not be a place that's like a sporting event that isn't fun where we just have our special outfit on, we battle the traffic, we get there, we don't know anyone, and we're just here to cheer for the same team, Team Jesus. Like, that's a start. I mean, if all of us in this room are here just to Team Jesus, that's a great starting point. But I think that the church is about so much more than that. It should look like a family of families. I truly believe that the church in America and the, the greenhouse, that the future depends on how well we live this out. How well do we live out being a family of families under the headship of Jesus Christ? Last thing, last point. The first line of our text, I left out half of it on purpose until now. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The full number. You know what I think is easy for me to do? I assume for other people. If our church is going well, who cares about the others? I was deeply convicted this week and challenged to my core. It said the full number. So I should have such a deep desire to see other churches doing well as when I hear about a moral failure in another church, it should bring me to my knees. When I hear about a church fighting over the color of the carpet, I should weep. But oftentimes, you know what I do? I say, glad that's not us. I was deeply um, just stirred in my heart that if God is allowing us to see anything that is beautiful and wonderful and holy as he designs it, are there ways that we can come alongside others to do, to challenge and encourage and to point and to love? It says the full number of those who believed. I believe that we, at the greenhouse, I desire, my hope, my prayer, my vision for us is that we would be a family of families that is part of a family. 
a much bigger family, the family of God. I um, deeply long for that. And I believe that's what the early church was doing. They were of one spirit. They were of one heart. Nothing was their own. And they were willing to display reckless behavior because of the reckless love of God. I hope that same thing can be said about me. I hope that same thing can be said about us. Let's pray. God, I, I confess to you that I don't naturally care about what is happening in other places. I'm not often driven to my knees because of horrible things that are going on in other churches. God, I, um, I know of, without even really thinking deeply, I know of at least five churches that are in the greater Dayton area that are deeply and profoundly struggling for a variety of reasons. God, I pray that that would um, lead us to our knees. I pray that in the same way that when I hear that my brother is not doing well, that it, it leads me to want to, to pray for him, to, to talk to him, that I would do the same thing with the church. And God, I pray for all of us here that I pray for our house churches and our different discipleship groups that meet at different times throughout the week. I pray that they would be places that truly look like family. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who had a horrible family upbringing, that they would see uh, not looking at that lens of what family looked like, but seeing the beautiful, wonderful picture of family and that the church could be a family that they never had. God, I um, thank you that it's because of your amazing, reckless love that we too can live out a reckless love of you and a reckless love for each other. God, I thank you for what you've done here so far. Thank you for the beautiful things that I see. And I pray, God, that we would humbly, humbly uh, yield to you, that you would continue. Pray it in the name that is above all names, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen.